All right, folks, great episode for you today. We're continuing the playoff postmortem series with the Arizona Coyotes. And I know that, that that's not a team that drives a ton of interest for people outside of that market. But for me, they've just had such an intriguing offseason. They've got no GM. They just lost a bunch of draft picks for stuff that that front office had done. And now it's not even the same people. And they've got these money issues with the new ownership. And we thought it was solid, but maybe now it's not. And it just, it seems like a situation that could be coming to a head. So I had to get an Arizona Focus podcast. And we brought on an excellent resource, Rose Ford from the Five for Howling. Uh, blog it's fantastic and she brought a tremendous perspective she was very resilient in her positivity about this team like you could certainly see throughout the interview I'm kind of trying to drag it down into the muck with my perspective that things are really bleak and she just just relentlessly positive and it was a really tremendous perspective to have and I think it's valuable to get that insider perspective because so much of us just view it from the outside and we don't really recognize the passion that there is amongst the loyal fan base that they do have there so it it was great to see it's a fantastic interview i hope you enjoy it but before we dive into that i got to talk about the nba a little bit here and last week i'm watching the thunder rocket series and i find myself I I loathe James Harden's game. He's a brilliant player, and I hold nothing against him personally. I just don't like the way that he plays the game. I find it very distasteful. And Chris Paul has a lot of of those similar tendencies, and he used to be with the Rockets, so that was like a double dip of just sports hatred that I had for that team. And then suddenly Chris Paul gets traded to the Thunder. There's a big breakup in that team. And now they're playing in this first round playoff series and it ends up going to game seven and, and Chris Paul is fantastic closing out game six. He was fantastic closing games all season. There's a bit of a turn for a player like him who has had so many struggles in big situations. And then ultimately game seven comes along and he doesn't perform up to the level, but what struck me was just how polarizing these players are. Like there's lots of people who love James Harden. They love the way that he plays the game. They think he's phenomenal. They think he might be the best player in the game. And there's people who love Chris Paul. They think he's one of the best point guards of all time. And I lean more towards the latter, but I have my issues with the way that he plays the, the constant complaining, the constant gaming of the refs, the flopping, all that stuff. And I should point out, I am kind of that type of player on the court. I'm like, I'm a really short guy, but I love basketball and I play basketball. And I'm a guy who, like Chris Paul, I dominate the ball. I want to orchestrate everything. I think that my decision making is going to be some of the highest level stuff when I'm on the court. So I want the ball in my hands. I want to orchestrate and control everything. And when there are refs, I'm going to be the guy complaining to the refs. And I'm that guy. And I think that there's a certain level of we see ourselves in those players are those things that we don't necessarily like about ourselves and so that highlights um kind of the hypocrisy of ourselves as fans but the point is is that these are super polarizing players and i just found myself really enjoying chris paul again and it was so funny how as an underdog he's super enjoyable and when he's not an underdog when he's a front runner he is absolutely distasteful and it's just such an interesting dichotomy and we don't have nearly enough of that in the nhl you think about who are the polarizing players in the nhl today and there aren't that many of them the players that we really don't like well everyone doesn't like them right no one likes brad marchand he's the rat right and there aren't many players who kind of toe that line. We respect the talent of Marchand, but ultimately it's like 90-10. There's not many people who actually enjoy his game. And just thinking about it, like Joe Thornton, he was a very divisive type player, but it was just, can he win the big one? It was never a, we don't like the way this guy plays the game. No, we love the way that he played the game. It was just a matter of, 
him not being able to get over the hump and it was more we feel sad about that fact and there's just all these players we just for whatever reason the hockey culture as much as the game is super physical and you could build up these rivalries ultimately there's this respect among fans for what most of the players are doing out there and we don't get those polarizing type players like i think the most polarizing players of the last decade or so are probably crosby and ovechkin and there's a huge polarization over how ovechkin played the game and is he bringing up defense can you win with a guy like that and then he won and he's the best goal scorer of all time so we just kind of we're just so satisfied with him as a player and we finally got to see him win and just everyone enjoyed it there was no more there was no more divisiveness the divisiveness was back early in his career and we haven't had that in a while and the same thing with crosby right sydney crisby was was one of the many uh bad nicknames that people had for him and they felt like he was put on this pedestal too early but it turns out he's just a fantastic player and he's won all these cups and now uh, he's he's just kind of revered and i'm sure there's lots of people who still hate him so he's one of the few who we actually do view as polarizing but that's going to happen with the best players in the world right people are going to hate them and we see them all the time on the big stage and i I lament the fact that maybe we're not getting enough of the best players on the big stage to be able to continue to develop new people that are so polarizing. And one of the most polarizing players is probably going to be Matthew Kachuk. And if we can ever get the Flames out of the first round, there's probably going to be a lot more people seeing just how polarizing a player he could be. I I'm an Oilers fan. <laughs> I can't help but love his game, even though he plays for the natural rival for my favorite team and has had some big feisty moments against it. I can't help it. It's just the way that we view things as hockey fans. And maybe if we got to play them in a playoff series, if either of those teams can ever get their shit together, then we'll be able to see both sides of that coin. But up until now, I just, I look at who's in the final four this season and we just don't have nearly enough sports hate we don't have enough polarization and i don't know how we're going to resolve that i don't know how we're going to fix that i'm putting as much hatred as i can muster on towards both the dallas stars and the new york islanders because i didn't really believe in these teams coming into the playoffs and i still don't think the dallas stars would have survived against colorado had colorado not lost both of their goaltenders and now we lose the chance to see some of the big stars that are on the avalanche in on a much bigger stage and instead we get this dallas stars team we we've seen them enough but there's nothing lamentable about them we don't really hate any of their players and so that kind of sucks and the new york islanders are basically this no-name brand team that has turned into an absolute juggernaut through their just sheer stick-to-itiveness with this fantastic system that they've built and they they're playing some fantastic entertaining hockey and while they had like absolutely no uh, evidence that they were going to be this phenomenal team they've they've clearly proven here in these playoffs that they are they have peaked at this upper echelon level and they they are to be respected as much as their profile coming in was not of one that was to be respected and so i'm going to put as much hatred towards those teams as i can just because they've baffled me but uh beyond that i like it there's no single player on any of those teams that as of yet i found a way to develop much sports hatred and then you you look at the vegas golden knights and they're maybe the most successful team that we have in these playoffs they're the most recent team to go on a stanley cup finals run and they've got ryan reeves who he's a fourth line player and yet he's uh he's maybe the most polarizing player that we have left you'll note in this podcast that uh rose makes reference to how uh in one of their their pre-bubble games he injured nick schmaltz and she has sports hatred for ryan reeves but should a fourth line player really be the player that you're deriving your sports hatred for i don't think so i think we got to find a way to start hating guys like mark stone or 
Alexander Radulov or some of the stars on these teams and it doesn't exist. And so we're, I don't know, maybe it's my job as a podcaster and someone who try, is trying to be involved in the sports media to generate some of this hatred, but maybe it's just not possible. Maybe there's something about hockey culture or maybe there's something about the way that sports like the NBA, the players are so naked and they're so more heavily involved in the play that you can really focus in on the star players, the way that hockey, the game is just, it's so much more team-based, right? You saw it in game seven, the stars get a hat trick from Yoel Kiviranta, who no one had heard of before this game. And it's his second ever playoff game and, and he becomes the biggest star. And that's just, I don't know that I guess that's the beauty of hockey. It, it's not necessarily elevating the absolute best players on the team. It's these players coming out of nowhere who have these tremendous performances. And yeah, I don't know. I think that there's a better way that we could be going about this. I'm I'm just I'm disappointed that I don't have as much sports hatred for the players that are still playing. And so I'm going to have to start making some up. I haven't figured out who I'm going to start bashing on yet, but it's probably going to be someone off the stars and the Islanders and we'll see what I come up with. But uh, yeah, we've got Rose Ford coming on the podcast coming up next. So I hope you enjoy. Okay. Another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. We are continuing our 2020 playoff post-mortems series and I'm pleased to be joined by Rose Ford from Five for Howling and the Desert Dogcast. Rose, how are you this evening? I'm doing good, Steve. How are you? I'm excellent. Just watched the Raptors close it out with buzzer beating three from OG Ananobi, who was absolutely expressionless after splashing the game-winning shot at the buzzer. Oh, congrats. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, an exciting moment. I'm coming into this podcast on a high, so I'm going to try to bring uh, a ton of energy to this thing. Um, I should mention at, at one point I had already recorded um, part of a podcast with someone talking about the Arizona Coyotes, but then just things kept happening and getting announced, and we, we found out about uh, their, their penalties for testing that they did and now we found out that the penalties that they're they're getting hit with have a fair amount of teeth uh, i wonder maybe we can start there what do you think about uh the impact that those are going to have on uh, on this team going forward woof i mean we were not <laughs> expecting a penalty that big at all i mean even the the team had come out and said that they were not expecting the penalties to be that large so um, losing a second round pick this year, because we already don't have a first and a first round next year is, is really going to be rough on a team that has already had trouble drafting in the past, e even before their uh, whiz kid GM decided to start cheating. No, I shouldn't say it like that. He didn't actually know what was going on. Somebody else was doing the cheating and he just wasn't aware. <laughs> supposedly right well supposedly. i guess That's i guess we'll never reported. know yeah I, it's it's always i i'm really looking forward to i was looking forward to finding out what the punishment was going to be and finding out more about the story and now that we've kind of heard it i can't wait to find out in 10 20 30 years when someone writes the book on this what really really did take place and i think it'll be explosive and probably be a little bit more than what they've led on but I mean, with relatively new ownership in Arizona and how much the NHL has struggled to have good ownership in that location, they really believe in it, but it's been a struggle. So I didn't think that they would come down with very much in the way of punishment at all, just because it seemed like these were the actions of the front office that was there before the Morellos took over and now that they've taken over and, and maybe brought some stability, I didn't think that they would want to offer up that kind of punishment and make it a negative for an, a new ownership situation. But then and, they did. And it, well, it's possible because the original penalties that we had heard for, for um, violating the draft policy was that 
um, it would be like a monetary fine. And they apparently chose not to go that route and take draft picks instead. So it's possible that by taking the draft picks, they're easing up on the new owner because Steve Morello, his businesses that he owns besides the Coyotes have taken a real hit thanks to the coronavirus pandemic. He's in casinos and restaurants and construction. So he's his financially, he's probably already hurting on, on all fronts. So yeah, they none might of those have... businesses are in operation right now. <laughs> well, construction is still going on around here. So he might be okay there, but the rest of his businesses are, I'm sure, are hurting hard. Yeah, absolutely. And just because this was kind of the, it seemed like this was the front office's actions and maybe not a directive from ownership. And then what happened with Cheka and how he's like completely on the outs with the organization now. And he's trying to jump ship to another team and it's it's getting absolutely acrimonious and it's it's going horribly i thought that if anything they were going to levy the punishment on cheka is you had the perfect fall guy this guy tried to jump ship the team's getting these penalties maybe you find them a little bit and say no never do that again and meanwhile behind closed doors batman's just levying this gavel and he's shaking his fist at and everyone else in the league and saying, you don't hire this guy. Like he is now blackballed. He is not allowed in for years. And that may still be the case. Like I, I would be shocked if we see him working for an NHL team in any capacity anytime soon. Yeah. And it's my understanding that he and the coyotes are actually going through a contract dispute to begin with. So even before he can accept a job from any other team, they have to get the, the contract dispute sorted out, sorted out. So I don't know what position the NHL is in to actually punish him when he's not technically under contract with anyone. Yeah, for sure. I thought it would just be one of those behind closed doors. Like this guy's, this guy's out They're They're going to have to come to a conclusion on what happens with his contract with the coyotes. But in terms of him, once, once that's resolved, I don't think he's going to be able to work for a team anyway, because I think that they're not going to want him in there. Yeah, it, it would be shocking to me if he was able to go back with another NHL team anytime soon. So it'll be interesting to see because he's, he's clearly, he's got promise and he's got other things to offer. So it'll be curious to see if he doesn't end up in some other capacity working in hockey or, or pro sports, um, but not in the NHL directly because he, he broke in with his stats company. So he's definitely got some entrepreneurial opportunities whenever this all gets resolved. So he's out as the GM. Mm -hmm. Steve Sullivan's the interim guy. If there's a silver lining, there's there's moves to be made this summer. And we we just watched the New Jersey Devils, they navigated some complicated trade deadline deals with Tom Fitzgerald in an interim capacity. So there's some potential for stuff to get done. And it sounds like they're talking to Taylor Hall, but any clue where this team is going on the GM front? Um, there are several candidates that are being bandied about. Um, most of the usual subs, uh, subjects. For some reason, Pierre Maguire always ends up in those rumors, but I don't know how serious of a candidate that is. Um, I think Sean Burke is a legit candidate. candidate. Eddie Olchek is a candidate and quite a few others as well. Um, we at the moment have no idea what direction they're going to go in. Um, I know from Anson Carter's interview with Alexander Gutierrez, the new um, CEO of the Coyotes, that he is actually friends with uh, Bill Daly. So I'm sure they're getting uh, input from the league on who they should hire and things like that. Um, we do know that Peter Shirelli, formerly of the Edmonton Oilers, is not a candidate. Oh, thank goodness. That, would, that, would, that could go horribly that, for you. That thankfully was confirmed by Craig Morgan of um, Arizona Coyotes Insider. Could you imagine if 
they hired Peter Chiarelli. Like they're probably not going to be able to sign Taylor Hall, but yeah, that's they pretty much Taylor guaranteed. <laughs> like, I don't think there's any way Taylor Hall would sign with a team that hired Peter Chiarelli. What if he signs before they hire a GM and then they hire Chiarelli, and then it's just like awkward that first day in the hallway. I think he'd find a way to make it a condition of his signing. <laughs> no question. I think uh, I think he might need a uh, a no movement clause there because Chirelli's going to find a way to trade him. Oh boy. Uh, do you have a favorite GM candidate out of the ones that are being bandied about? Um, a favorite. Hmm. It's tough to say. I, I've heard good things about Mike Fuda. I think he's one of the candidates as well. And um, Sean Burke actually has history with the club. So that would be interesting. Um, he's worked for them before. So th those I'd be fine with. Um, I'm less excited about the broadcasters who might be GMs. I don't, I don't see that as a as a great step up <laughs> you know yeah no question like when was the last time someone jumped from the broadcast booth to being a good gm the only example i can even think of from pro sports is steve kerr yeah and he he's done a really good job but <laughs> <laughs> One I don't those, know uh, that we have a hockey equivalent. <laughs> no, no, you you may be right. It, it doesn't seem like those jobs are necessarily drawing from the same skill set. That might be a bit of a unicorn situation. <laughs> so I've been building these podcasts kind of around the question of, is their window open or closed? But for the... I, for the Coyotes, I really struggle to think that this is even the right question. So yeah. where are you Was at the window ever open? <laughs> exactly. Um, there, there are days when it doesn't feel like it was, but, you know, they were in first in the division for like the first half of the year until Darcy Kemper got hurt. So there are a lot of positives about this season um, that we have. So it's just unfortunate that right at the time that they brought Taylor Hall on is when Darcy Kemper got hurt. And then, um, Auntie Ronta was also hurt at the same time. So that kind of derailed most of the, the rest of the season until those guys were back and up to playing speed. I mean, they were only four points out of a playoff stop spot when the, when the, pandemic pause happened so it's not like they couldn't come back and they had eight home games to get it done on the schedule so it, it's impo it's possible they would have still made the playoffs anyway it wasn't out of the out of the question so but what happens now is the big question and I think a lot of that is going to depend on what the new GM wants to do are they going to want to retool with the pieces we have in place or are they going to want to rebuild is the big question. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they navigate it. For me, I, I saw all the positives that you saw as well. I threw down a, a tiny little speculative bet on them uh, before they made the Hall trade when there was murmurs that they might make one because they were playing an interesting style and they definitely had that stifling defensive play that suits uh, playoff action. And then maybe if you can add a score like Taylor Hall, if, if he could be what he was when he was the MVP for New Jersey, and maybe those days are behind him, but if he could bring that to Arizona and they could get a little bit more, then they could be a legitimate threat to, to win a round or two. And who knows, you win a round or two and then suddenly things start spiraling and you, you get the hot goalies and, and crazy things could happen. And what we saw in these playoffs was very reminiscent of the Blue Jackets all-in push last season, right? Like they, they gave up their first for a, a star rental player. They won a round and, and they're built around a stout defense and great goaltending. But there are some divergences from that. And, and you touched on 
the lack of front office stability and you know what is the new GM going to want to do and they don't have the security of their own picks if they do happen to bottom out and I mean they're capped out with little flexibility so how how do they find that flexibility this summer? Well, the good news is that they're only near the cap for one season, the 2021 season. Once 21-22 hits, they have all the cap flexibility in the world. It's just who do they want to sign, how much do they want to sign them for, and um, how long do they want to keep folks on the books. The core players that Shika has already signed are um, Jacob Chikrin at $4.6 million AAV, Oliver Ekman Larson at 8.25, uh, Christian Dvorak at 4.45, Nick Schmaltz at 5.85, and Clayton Keller, whose deal starts um, this coming season in the new season at 7.15. Um, of those contracts, um, Chikrin, Dvorak, Schmaltz, they all had good regular seasons. And Schmaltz unfortunately got hurt in the um, in the pre-pandemic qualifying round preseason game. I don't know what they're being called. <laughs> Limbo hockey. Yeah, the warm-up games before the qualifying round started. He got hurt by the by the Vegas team. Ryan Reeves specifically. Hate you, Ryan Reeves. Anyway, so. Um, so we didn't get to see what he would have been like in the postseason, but he had a pretty good regular season. And Christian Dvorak had a great regular season, and he was doing well in the postseason. So we're happy with him. Keller didn't have the greatest regular season, but he was doing well in the qualifying round. And, um, and a little bit against the Avs, too, although those last few games were terrible for everybody. So it's hard to say that that isn't a good core. That's a pretty good core. Yeah. My question with that core, it seems like all of those players were signed to contracts expecting that they would all reach their high water mark. And a lot of them have failed to reach that mark. Keller specifically, it looked like he was going to be a genuine star and he hasn't quite gotten there, but He's only three years in, so I think you're still betting on him playing up to that. Maybe maybe not up to $7 million worth, but close to it. But a guy like Ekman Larson, he's 29 now and, and looks like he's dwindling. He's only one year into that eight-year uh, expensive deal, full no-move no clause, and now he's at the top of TSN's trade bait list. So it seems like maybe they're ready for it an amicable like divorce here. perennially at the top of TSN's trade bait list because they think Arizona is worthless and everybody wants to leave it. <laughs> that is fair. I, I will fully, uh, I fully embrace the small market underdog attitude and the feistiness that you're bringing here. So you think Ekman Larson is staying. Can he live up to that contract? I think I'm, not gonna 100% sure say that he's staying if if there's a deal out there that makes the team better if he decides he's fed up with all of the uncertainty there's there's a chance that he does move but he'll control that move and he has always said that he loves Arizona he loves playing here he loves living here I don't know that he's the kind of guy who would want to go to a new place you know he learned under captain shane doan and shane doan never went there win or lose didn't matter he was comfortable here and wanted to stay so he's got a little bit of that doanness in him so i think it's possible he might stay but they may not give him a choice either if if they don't want him to stay we know that he's had friction with coach rick, rick tockett in the past so I don't know how that's going to play out. Everything's up in the air. Nobody's safe. Anyone can move. It's just the guys with no move clauses have a bit more say in where they go. Yeah, I kind of think that it seems like the team is heading towards saving as much money as possible. They've made cuts in the front office and as you mentioned the Morellos some of their business ventures aren't doing so well so it seems like they're looking to 
cut costs wherever they can. And this team right now is looking like a cap team. And when you're trying to save costs, I don't think you're going to want to spend like a cap team. So I could see Ekman Larson being one of those guys who becomes a cap casualty, but I wonder if there's a market for a guy with that much term and that many dollars, if there's even. Yeah. That's what I wondered too. Like what, what would they be able to get back for him? And is it going to be worth alienating parts of your fan base and, and giving up your captain? I mean, that's not a particularly good look either. So we'll see what happens. It's, it's, it's a big off season. And another name that's getting dangled out there is Darcy Camper. And he's their their main starter, and his deal is only 1.85 for the 1920 season and 4.5 for the 2021 season. So that's a much easier trade. I mean, yeah. he was a heart candidate. Yeah, I can't imagine why you would want to. Your team is built around defense and this elite goaltending, and. Kemper took you as far as he could before having to play so many games in such a congested amount of time. And he was their MVP. So I, I can't imagine why going into a season where you don't have your first round pick, you'd be looking to cut that guy. But I guess when you're at the point of desperation of getting some money off the books, you're going to sell the guys who have the most cachet, the ones that you're getting the most calls about end up being the most obvious but do you think this team even sniffs playoffs next season if they remove their number one netminder Woof. um no honestly if they well it depends because this is a volatile goalie market to begin with like there's a question whether or not you know the Habs recent uh, acquisition of jake allen is does that mean that Carey Price is going to be moved, or are they going to are they going to be moving other pieces? I mean, I don't know too many teams that can afford to spend fifteen million dollars on their goaltending. Yeah, I think for Montreal, this is a situation where they've got money for one summer and one summer only, and then their whole top line hits unrestricted free agency. So they look at it as we've got a good prospect in Caden Primo. He's not quite ready to make the leap, although he played well in his two games this past season, but their backup play was awful. They got like a four, six and three record out of their goalies. And the only time their backups didn't give up more than three or more goals in a game was one of Primo's games. So they're thinking we've got some money to spend Let's spend it on a backup that's proven and it's only one year on the deal and we don't have to go into the fall off season of music, goalie musical chairs and try to get a goalie to sign with us and knowing that we only want to be able to offer one year. So they just took the certainty of it and I think they're going to roll forward with $14 million in net because I don't know how, as much as there'd be teams that would be interested in Carey Price, I don't think they're interested in Carey Price at $10 million million yeah that's that's a steep price i think a lot more people would be interested in darcy kemper at 4.5 absolutely like i imagine that they're getting calls from well half the league needs goalies because half the league is losing goalies this summer so it's it's all over the map and i imagine they're getting lots of calls about him it just it doesn't seem like that would be he might be the only thing holding the like he might be that chunk of mud that's holding the whole dam together and then you pull him out and then the whole thing's going to burst. Right. Right. Um, One of the roster building strategies that I've noticed from these playoffs is that you really need those two play driving defensemen, one on each of your pairings, play them 50 plus minutes a night and putting out all these fires all over the place Ekman Larson's supposed to be that guy, but he hasn't been for a he few years. He used to be that guy, yeah. Uh, Chikrin isn't far off, but you've got Victor Soderstrom drafted, what, 12th overall? I think they traded up to get him there. They traded up to 11th. Okay, there you go. And so what? how much optimism is there for him, and when are you expecting to see him? Um, well, they just loaned him out to a Swedish team. 
um, to get some playing time in until the, I guess, until the league restarts. Um, but he was actually in the bubble, so we didn't get a chance to see him play against Nashville or Colorado, but um, he was in the bubble, and um, we're hoping to see him if, well, I guess he would probably only come over for an NHL position, so we're hoping to see him pretty soon. Yeah, do you think that maybe they've got all those veteran defensemen that only have one year left on their contracts? To me, that's the logical place to look if you're looking to cut salary, but maybe it's just a take your medicine type situation with Goligoski, Demers, and Chalmerson. But I'd have to think there'd be at least some interest in those players. And if you're excising them, that's where you get your opportunity for a guy like Soderstrom. Yes, and I completely agree there. If um, if somebody came calling for Goligoski, Yarmelson, or Demers, I'd say, yeah, trade them before Oliver or, or Kemper. Um, it's just, I think, um, Yarmelson, it's the injury question and the age question. He's currently 33. He's hasn't been playing full seasons f since he got here in Arizona. And it'd be nice to actually see what he could do with a full season if he could stick around for one. But um, if somebody comes calling for him, I know he's very much loved around the league and he's kind of unique because he's one of those defensive defensemen that really helps out a team and one of the few left-handed shots that can actually play the right side. Yeah, he's a bit of a unicorn in how he's not giving you any offense, but he's still so revered throughout the league. With the flat cap scenario and, and the money problems in Arizona, do you think there would be any appetite for a salary retention type deal? Because I think that if you were getting Chalmerson at 3 million instead of five, that every single team in the league would uh, at least take a sniff on that. But would there be any appetite for Arizona ownership to retain any salary in that type of deal? I'm sure they would prefer not to, but if it, if it gets them a first round pick and you know, clears even a little bit of cap space, uh, they'd probably take what they can get. <laughs> yeah, no question. So do you, do you think this is a very much a wait and see type off season for the Coyotes? Yes, we're very much in wait and see mode right now because it, it really all depends on the new GM. We have absolutely no idea what they're going to want to do. Now, Phil Kessel, he's... He's a Rick Tockett guy, and he was reportedly injured this year. Are you buying that, or is like is he a lemon now? Um, I do buy that he was injured. Um, what people are mostly ticked off about is that if he was injured, he should have been sat. You know, he shouldn't have been allowed to play through that injury and and not fully heal up to get to the point where he could actually help out the team. So. We know he's got that Iron Man streak going, but a lot of folks think it was pretty selfish of him to continue the Iron Man streak to the detriment of the team. That's an interesting perspective because I think that a lot of folks lionize players for their Iron Man streaks and playing through injury, but obviously he wasn't playing up to his potential. And if he's not scoring goals, I don't know what he's given you. Yeah, and that's precisely the problem. So he wasn't scoring goals on the power play or anywhere else. So um, he wasn't providing any other value. So why not sit him? But that was a decision for the coaches to make. And they've already made some coaching changes. And we have no idea if more are to come. Right. Are you hinting at a possible Rick Tockett firing? I think it's unlikely to be honest, because he only has one year left on his deal. I think it would be more likely that they would let this one year play out and then just not renew his deal. That's interesting synchronicity with all the money that they have coming off the books after this coming season on top of their, their, their coach uh, going free as well. 
Yeah, um, I'm not sure exactly what Trika had planned for 21-22, but I'm, I imagine it might have had to do with uh, the incoming Seattle team and the expansion draft. Yeah, everyone's worried about that. Is there a player that you're really concerned that the Coyotes might lose? I don't think when I went through the exercise of looking at it, I don't think they were at risk of losing too much. Um, no, uh, not particularly. When we went through the Vegas draft, um, we were somewhat concerned over who are they going to take, who are they going to protect, what goalie is going to be available, that sort of thing. And um, unlike teams like Florida and Columbus that gave up a lot in order to keep the players that they wanted, um, the Coyotes just let Vegas pick and they ended up picking Timu Polkanen. So I think that same strategy could work to your advantage when Seattle as well. Just just let them pick. Protect who you're going to protect and let them pick and see what happens. It's only one player when you get down to it and one player doesn't doesn't have that big of an impact on an NHL team. Yeah, and it doesn't look like they're going to have any crazy albatrosses on the books that they're going to look to cap dump the way that Anaheim dumped Clayton Stoner in and ended up giving up Shea Theodore like just Oh man, Vegas, Vegas crushed that draft. They did. Yeah. So I was thinking that, you know, the Ottawa senators, they kind of, they kind of survived uh, a one year fit of rebuilding without a first rounder. So I think that their example is somewhat instructive, although I, I wouldn't necessarily say that Arizona has stars quite to the level of what Ottawa ended up shedding to kind of fuel their rebuild. But if you hold out, I think that there's the silver lining is that there's, you know, you can fetch a handsome return. Are you looking for this team to kind of go into next season and, and try to win? And then if they don't get there, they shed whatever expiring deals they have at the deadline. Yeah, I think that's actually probably the best bet is to, you know, we did actually make the playoffs. We were close to making the playoffs when the seasons, when the season stopped. So it doesn't make sense to me personally to blow everything up and pretend like this is some big, horrible, you know, crap the bed situation. <laughs> um, they got back to the playoffs for the first time in eight years with this roster. I think a little bit of retooling um, could actually really help them out. And any player that they were going to draft with their 10th overall, what their 18th overall, I don't know what number pick, but it definitely wasn't in the top 10 um, that they would have had, had the, had they not made the Taylor Hall trade or, or any player that they would have drafted next year wouldn't be around to help the team anyway. So I think they should give it one more shot and see how it goes. And then if it, if it doesn't work out, then you can start trading away your core. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think that with the situation that we're in now, it seems like a whole whack of amateur leagues aren't going to be able to run and scouts aren't going to be able to travel and get out to rinks and do their reports. It's going to be, I think the 2021 draft is going to be the most erratic draft since maybe the Nail Yakupov draft. So you could end up in this situation where you're losing your first in maybe the perfect year for it. And I, I don't know if there's a little bit of irony in them losing that pick for illegally testing prospects when this coming season, every team's going to be tempted to do so. Like there might not be a combine where there's going to be a whole bunch of prospects we don't even see. And you could end up with the best player in like the fourth round. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? This draft is definitely going to be interesting to watch. Um, just to see what happens. But yeah, the Coyotes don't have a pick until the fourth round and then they have their fourth, fifth and sixth and seventh. And then in 2021, they've got a second rounder if Taylor Hall doesn't sign. Um, if he does sign, then um, the New Jersey third rounder becomes a second rounder and they won't have a pick until the third round. 
And I got to assume that you're rooting for the Taylor Hall signing and you just take your chances in the draft. That would be ideal for me, but um, whether or not he wants to re-sign with an organization that reportedly was having trouble paying the per diem the last few days of the, the season um, is a question. Yeah, no doubt. And it just, it doesn't seem like they have the cap space to go there either without making sizable cuts. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to move players out if they want to re-sign Hall at um, the price that he, that Darren Drager is reporting he's looking for, which is 9.5. So they would definitely have to move somebody. Um, whether it's somebody on the defense, which would be my preference, or maybe a Derek Stepan who only has one year left and could be a quality center somewhere else. Maybe that would be the way to go. But, you know, again, still waiting on that GM. Do you think it's even advisable to give Hall that type of extension? Like we talked about Ekman Larson already not panning out quite as well as you would have liked on his long-term deal. And we're talking about another guy around the same age who would be signing a long-term deal and has dealt with some injuries and is looking like maybe his, his game has seen better days. Um, if it were me, I would probably sign him up to the age 35, but not past it. So sort of a, a longer term deal, but not super long term because he's only 28 right now. Um, yeah. I think, uh, part of the reason that Taylor Hall had such a down year is because last season he had a knee injury and we know on the Coyotes from experience that it takes about a year for players to recover properly from a knee surgery injury. So if, if that timeline holds, then this coming season is when Taylor Hall would be back to normal. Interesting. So, you know, I'm a big fantasy guy. So you're extolling the virtues of a one year lag time theory for players with knee injuries. Yeah, we've seen it a lot because there there have been a lot of knee injuries for some reason on the Coyotes. Damaris had a knee injury, Brad Richardson had a knee injury, and they were able to come back, but they weren't the same until the next season. Wow, I, same with Jacob Chikrin, too. Do you dare speculate as to why? Is it just the lack of confidence, or is it a confluence of a bunch of issues? It's probably a confluence. Um, most of the time when you have a, a rehab off season, you're not able to put in the level of training that you want to, that you normally want to in order to be fit for the season, I think is a big part of it. And then also you do have to get over that, that confidence of playing on your knee again, because it's so integral to, to the game. I don't know if you watched the Connor McDavid documentary on his rehab from his knee injury last season, but I know that they spent a lot of the time that he wasn't able to do anything while they were waiting for the knee to heal, just working on some of his, I guess, uh, other inefficiencies in his body and then he wasn't able to do that full course training. So one of the things that I was really excited about was seeing what he would look like in the bubble, having gotten that, that lag time um, between when the pause happened and these playoffs to put in that actual training time. But I wonder if the fact that access to the type of training facilities that he would normally have was limited, didn't, reduce the the ability that he could explode to that level but I just thought it was interesting that McDavid coming back from that injury was still like one of the best players in the world yeah and I understand that the rehab that he put himself through was actually um not typical so I don't know if that changes the timeline for him specifically. And also I, I tend to think that Connor McDavid is a freak of nature anyway. <laughs> yeah. So. Like he, he tore a ligament in meniscus or what I can't remember the exact specific specifics of it, but basically they're 
like they're taking all these MRIs and they're like, well, when, when's that ligament going to grow back? And it sounds like he just regrew it like Wolverine. Yeah. So he's got some, definitely got some regenerative properties there. <laughs> oh, to be so lucky. Um, Rose, this is the Coyotes last season coming up in the Pacific division. Where do you think they're going to finish in the standings? I hope that they are going to finish third in the Pacific. Interesting. Vancouver and Vegas. Yeah, it's hard not to like what Vancouver has been doing and Vegas is just such a machine. And I think that the California teams are, are going to take another year off. So you might be right there. It's a question of what the heck is going to happen with those Alberta teams. And I, I don't dare answer that question because it sounds like the Flames might be headed towards a blow up and the Oilers have cap issues of their own. So I don't hate that prediction. I think that that would assume that Taylor Hall is back and they find a way to not trade their number one goalie to do it. Yeah, so... That would be, and they would definitely have to still do some retooling um, if there's a way for them to get a solid center. Like everybody needs a number one center and a right-handed defenseman, basically. every Almost every team needs that. <laughs> so, or some combination thereof. So. And are and, you optimistic that Victor Soderstrom and Barrett Hayton might fill those holes? Um. They'll definitely help. I don't know if Baron Hayton is an elite number one center, but I think he, he could be a number two and Christian Dvorak can fill the number one role for now. Um, so we'll, we'll see how he progresses. Uh, Victor Soderstrom, we haven't really had a chance to see too much of, but I'm hoping that he will be that right-handed defense partner for, for OEL that OEL has desperately needed for so long. And I know he's been partnered with Jason Demers for a while now, but Demers has his injury issues too. And as great as he is in the room, I think having somebody um, more defensively responsible would help Oliver out and help him be able to take over games again like he used to. So you are There's firmly options. in the don't trade Ekman Larson camp a little bit of bias there because he's one of my favorite players right right so i i think we'll close on that we'll go out on a high note ekman larson is the is the new shane doan as as you uh had alluded to previously so rose i i really appreciate you coming on and being generous with your time is there anything that you'd like to plug before we get out of here um, our editor at Five for Howling, Carl Pavlik, just posted his uh, Coyotes postmortem for the season. So if people want to go check that out, they can go to fiveforhowling.com, all spelled out. Oh, that's and, fantastic. Uh, it sounds like excellent companion reading. Though his opinions probably are a bit different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that, uh, that would just make it that much better a, a diverse set of uh, perspectives well right on like i said uh, i really appreciate you coming on the the podcast rose thanks for having me steve all right everyone that was our show i hope you liked what you listened to and if you did please like subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts stick tap to rose you can find her on Twitter at RoseColoredFact. She's pretty fantastic. And make sure you check out her work over at fiveforhowling.com.